So we're going to continue into the Genesis series, the random acts of God's kindness. Is that what the series is called? Oh, no, not the random acts, but the surprising story of God's kindness. So we're going to jump straight into Genesis chapter 25. Uh, I mentioned we're looking at Jacob Esau. If you're familiar with the Bible and the stories of the Bible, you will, if you were talking about Jacob, many of you will say, oh, I know the story of Jacob. That was the bit about Jacob where he dressed up in uh, goat skin and went in and uh, got the blessing of his father Isaac and robbed his brother of Esau. Are you familiar with that story? That is not the story I'm going to be focusing on today, okay? I'm going to go right in at the beginning of Jacob and Esau. So chapter 25, I would have done the other story, but I absolutely would not have time to do it. So uh, so I decided to, what what I tend to do is sometimes I uh, prepare way too much material. And, uh, you know, so to go into both stories wouldn't have been very fair on you today. So Genesis chapter 25, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, uh, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, unable to have children. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in the womb. And the first came out red. (laughs) I don't think that was his skin color. All his body was like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which actually means hairy. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau, he was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, oh, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is God's word for us. Abraham, he was the man with the promises. Future generations are going to be blessed through your descendants. Then he had Ishmael. But the line continued through Isaac. Through you, Isaac, all nations are going to be blessed. For that promise to continue, he needed to have children. He was unable to. Rebecca, then falls pregnant, turns out it's twins and typical of brothers. They start fighting, even in the womb, just as a little aside here. I love the... 
just the reference here that actually that, that there's destiny, there's prophecy given to children in the womb. And fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist said in 139, you knitted me together in the mother's womb. There's destiny. Even from before the days that we were born, there's destiny in our life. And when we're born, I want us to understand and live the life that God wants us to live. And some of you possibly have got some heritage and history which isn't always that great. But God has plans and God has a purpose. And God knitted you together in the mother's womb. And just as a little aside here, look, the prophecy that was given to these boys speaks about their destiny. So then Rebecca has the twins. And first Esau came out, followed by Jacob. And right from day one, that they were clearly very different children. We have two children. Uh, they weren't twins. I have a son. We have a son called Jacob. Very, very different from his daughter. I remember the midwives who would come along because Beth was like, sister, sister. well spotted. <laughs> and, and, and Beth was like so kind of like quiet in comparison and placid and lovely and didn't cry so much, and slept a lot. And the midwife would say to us, oh, you, you, or people would say, you just know how to bring her up. You've learned from Jacob. No, they were just different. Very, very different from the moment that they were born, and she was born, and he was born. They were just very different personalities. And we see that with, uh, with Jacob and Esau, very different from day one. Genesis 25, verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau... He was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved, Jake, uh, loved Esau because he ate of his game, his food, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So let's look at these two major characters, Esau and Jacob. What do we know about Esau? Well, firstly, he was extremely hairy. Okay, that is what he was. Uh, we have friends a few years ago who had a baby, and when we saw the first photo of the baby it was shocking just to see how much hair this baby had it was almost like she she was just like she had a full not just a full head of hair it's almost like you need to go to the hairdressers right from birth it was like you know well Esau was extreme in his hairiness what else do we know he was a skillful hunter he was a man of the field he was loved by his dad and he liked his food a lot so what do we know what what, what can we pick up from him skillful hunter now, the commentators, those who understand the Bible far better and far more than me, would look at this and go, do you know this reference to a skillful hunter? There's another reference to a skillful hunter just a little bit earlier in the story of Genesis chapter 10. It says there's a bloke there called Nimrod. Nimrod, he was a skillful, he was a mighty hunter. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And you thought, God, that sounds good, but it wasn't good. It actually says he was a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord. Actually, the, the name Nimrod uh, meant probably meant the rebel. It was more of a nickname. He is the rebel, and he went off and, in effect, formed the Babylonian kingdom. He stood in defiance to God. He was a mighty hunter in the face of God. So some commentators say, Esau, did he stand in opposition to God? I don't know. A man of the field, just loved the outdoor life. Well, again, commentators have said, you know, this reference to the field isn't just the love the outdoor life. The word actually comes from a Hebrew word, meaning to spread out. Esau had spread out to the country of the Canaanites. He mingled with them. He even went on to marry a Canaanite woman. So was Esau, was he a rebel in defiance to God? Did he compromise in his lifestyle? Played the field? I don't know. 
could sound harsh, but what we do know is that the promises of God that were given to his granddad Abraham meant nothing to him. He was willing to trade it in for a bowl of stew, a cup of soup. The birthright was actually really important. It doesn't kind of follow through into our culture now, but it was incredibly important then. It was given to the firstborn, and by default that he was born first, even if it was only by a few minutes, by that, uh, those few minutes was hugely significant and should have been a life changer for Esau. It would have made him the future head of the household, and as a result, he would have received a far, far greater inheritance, probably double, compared to what his brother would have had. His name would have been one that carried down the generations, and he would have been regarded as the father, the spiritual father. But he sold that all out for a bowl of stew, a cup of soup. It's a big deal. Was he thinking clearly? It comes in here and now, right now, that actually really doesn't matter to me. What I need right now is, is food. You have the food. I'll trade everything else in in order to satisfy my hunger now. He later regrets it. In fact, he gets very bitter towards his brother. You robbed me of birthright. You robbed me of my blessing. But Esau had a choice, but he gave it up. Why? Because it didn't matter to him. He was enjoying the outdoor life way too much. He enjoyed the, the hunting and he enjoyed the open fields. Later on, actually, if we did jump into the story a couple of chapters later on, when he was out and about again, hunting and out in the fields when Jacob goes in and nicks the blessing. He was living for today. He disregarded the things that actually were really matter. Actually, later on in, in the Bible, the writer to the Hebrews said, because of this action, Esau was unholy. He was ungodly. He disregarded what was important. He disregarded the promises of God. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews, message translation says this, watch out for the Esau syndrome in chapter 12 trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears. So the thing is, what we learn from the Esau thing is, carefully don't sell yourself short. Don't sell out. So if I was to come up and offer Martin, here's 10 pound, Martin, but your choice is take the tenner or wait 10 years and I'll turn that into a 1,000. The choice that he goes, do you know what? I'll take the tenner now and turn away the 1,000 that was an offer. It's hypothetical. <laughs> but Esau would have been someone who would have taken the tenner now. I'm not looking to the future. I'm not considering what the future actually really matters. Let's live for now. Let's live for the day. I'm living life. I'm enjoying life. I'm out hunting. I'm out living. I'm, I'm in the open air. I don't want to be stuck in the tents. I don't want to have this, this responsibility, this kind of like responsibility on me to be the next generation and the leader and all of that. I don't want that. I want to go and live life. It's, it's squashing me too much. Let me get out there. I'm going to give up this birthright. I'm going to sell, of course, give me a bowl of soup. I'm hungry. That's what I really need. What's the point of the birthright? I just, I'm living for now. 
failed to recognize what was actually really important. He was the rightful heir. He had these promises of God that should have been his, but he didn't take them. Failed to recognize, and it was a decision that he regretted later. Let me just be clear. When we're talking about the promises of God, we're talking about God's plan of redemption for broken, fallen, messed up humanity. It wasn't some kind of like small thing. This was a big thing. That Here's the promises. And he just said, it's not important to me. I'd rather be out and about hunting, living life, eating soup. And we can look at, oh, Esau, come on, how could you do that? Well, I wonder whether the culture in which we're living in today actually encourages us to cash in early. Take the tenor now. <laughs> don't, don't wait around. Don't hang around. Take the tenor. Live it. Enjoy it. Don't plan. Don't commit long term. Something better actually might come along later on. Let, let tomorrow, let next year, you know, that'll sort out. Live for now. And we, let's just live in the day. Let's live within an emotion. Let's live how I feel. Because how I feel is actually more credible than reason. It makes you feel happy. Live with whoever or sleep with whoever or be with whoever. That's fine. Don't make you happy. Just move on. Simply move on. And we sell ourselves short. Lots of areas in life we sell ourselves short and we go, yeah, but is that God's best plan for your life? And, and sometimes I'll get pushed back and the conversations will come back. Yeah, about that. I don't, I don't really hold to that particular view anymore. Like in marriage and stuff, one man, one woman for life. I think God's much more flexible than that. I think God's more fluid than that. And like Esau, just get rid of the baggage that comes from previous generations. Remember, he, he was third generation. Abraham, Isaac, Esau. And was already rejecting previous generations stuff. Uh, some people who are part of Kings uh, have come here several times, live in Seaford, but usually come across to Eastbourne. A number of years ago, Simon and Jerry used to babysit a little boy called Marcus, Marcus Mumford. Marcus Mumford has grown up to become quite a well-known singer in Mumford and Sons. And he was the child of people who used to lead the vineyard movement uh, in the UK. And it was asked of Marcus in a Rolling Stones magazine, he said, do you still consider yourself to be a Christian? And this is what Marcus said. It comes with so much baggage. So no, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I think the word just conjures up all these religious images that I don't really like. I have my personal views about the person of Jesus and who he was. I've kind of separated myself from the culture of Christianity. Esau separated himself from his culture, third generation. Lived to regret it, too late. But... My encouragement when I'm looking on the Esau story is don't disconnect from some rich heritage that actually means a right lot. It means a huge amount for the dish of the day, for the culture of the day. Uh, a few of us have been studying in recent weeks a little bit about church history. It's great. The last 2,000 years of church history. And, and the richness and the depth and the heritage of what was discovered or decided upon in the second and third and fourth centuries and then uh, throughout to the middle ages and then into the 15th, uh, 16th century and the reformation period and 
there's a richness of history and depth and which we're in danger of in today's culture of just disregarding and throwing out. Previous stuff, previous rich heritage that people go, do you know what, that isn't the dish of the day. That, that just doesn't fit today. I want to feed on what's for today. Disregard this, reject it, push it away. And don't think on actually the implications or consequences of rejecting wholesale some stuff which is incredibly important and valuable that people have died for. Because it's not kind of palatable with the day. We need to be careful that the culture of the day doesn't define us. And instead allow the culture of God's words to define us. That's actually why we spend so much time looking at it. And actually, even in recent weeks, I think particularly here in Seaford, you, you still you just read whole chunks of the Bible and say, this is God's word. Because there's kind of aligning ourselves up here to say, do you know what? There's so many authorities that have set themselves up within the world. Where do we line ourselves up with? And what we're saying is that we want to line ourselves up with this. This is what Jesus said. If you abide, if you dwell in my word, <laughs> I'll come back to that word dwell shortly. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, my followers, and you will know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. That is incredibly relevant in the day and age in which we're living in right now. Where people actually are very unclear about how to define what is true or not. We line ourselves up, not get shaped with the culture of today but we say god what do you say let, let, let's hold on to what you say let, let's look at how jesus what you say let's define our life by what you say that's esau watch out for the esau syndrome <laughs> trading away god's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite then there's uh, Jacob. What do we know about Jacob? Well, it says Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Well, we assume he wasn't as hairy as his brother. He was quiet and he liked camping and he was chosen by God. Now, on first appearances, it doesn't look that Jacob was much of a man's man. He wasn't necessarily regarded as the big alpha male like his brother. But he was the natural heir elect, chosen by God. God chose Jacob. Jacob was God's choice, like Isaac before, and like Abraham before. Why? Why did God choose Jacob, not Esau? Well, we have a couple of big clues in that verse that we just read, that Jacob was a righteous man who cared about the promises of God. And you go, how do you get that? Well, I've just told you he was a quiet and he loved camping. It's an odd, odd word, this word, quiet. Because everywhere else in the Old Testament, it never translates these Hebrew words to mean quiet. Uh, the New King James Version says he was a mild man. In other translations, he was a plain man. He was the mild-mannered janitor. There's an 80s reference. 
But it was quiet. But, but nowhere, actually, anywhere else in, in the Bible does it really translate the word to mean quiet, plain, mild. The same word is used when describing Job. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz. Now, Job, he's on the good list. He's a good man. There's a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. It's the same word. One who feared God and turned away from evil. Again, it's repeated in verse 8 of the same chapter. Then it says of Noah. What do we know of Noah? He was a good man. He was, he was on the good list. And it says of Noah he was a blameless man or a man of integrity. It's the same word that was used of Job, the same use that was word of, used of Noah, and it's the same word that actually was used of Jacob. So why did the people get all the Bible and translate it to mean quiet or mild or plain? I suspect... It's to do with the fact that the translators struggled with putting the description of Jacob as the upright, righteous, integrity man because we know how the story unfolded. We can't make Jacob to look too good because a couple of chapters later, he really does do the naughty. Here's Jacob, the upright, righteous, man of integrity. Two chapters later... Later, I don't know what, where the accent has come from. <laughs> Later, what's that? what accent is that? I don't know. My wife is the one of accents, brilliant. Two chapters later, he's there standing in front of his dad, dressed in goat's skin, conning his dad to say that he's his brother Esau in order to get the blessing. That does not indicate someone who has got a huge amount of integrity. And yet, the real word that is being used here is, Jacob, you're a man of integrity. You can't, don't compute. You don't deserve that title. So I wonder whether they didn't give him that title. Because it's, it's got too many issues. Doesn't sound great. Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was an upright man. But in spite of, the of his failings and despite of his imperfections, really he was described as someone who was right with God. Amazing. The writer to the Hebrews goes on and talks about the importance of this. So, actually, so we've got a bit about him being blameless and upright, but then it talks about dwelling in tents, which kind of gives a domestic bliss kind of picture a bake-off kind of moment of standing in an open meadows, baking all day long. But that was hugely important, that phrase of dwelling in the tents. So the writer of the Hebrews said this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was receiving inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in the foreign land. Living in tents, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Choosing to dwell, choosing to live in the tent was an act of faith that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all chose to live. They chose to dwell in the tent because they knew that they were simply in transit from one city 
to another. They weren't looking for this permanent dwelling place. They were looking for the eternal city. And that was what God was promising. Live now as if you're living in the future. Don't settle now. Don't live now. Don't settle for something less than what is to come. Don't, don't stop here like a refugee stopping in this land when you know you've got the promises to come. Uh, in December, a couple of months back, Belinda and myself were flying back from South Africa. And in order to do the most economical route back from South Africa, we went via uh, Joburg and then on to Istanbul and landed in Istanbul, changed flights at some silly hour in the morning and got on a flight back into UK. The flight at uh, Istanbul was meant to be incredibly quiet. There was only meant to be about 10 people on this flight. Great, we can stretch out. We got on there, the plane was absolutely packed, absolutely just rammed with people. And it just seemed chaotic on the flight. The chaos on the bus getting to the we're on the bus getting to the plane. It was just chaotic. Getting on the plane, just chaotic. People had no idea where they were sitting, just pushing in, moving around, sitting down here, having to get up, having to move, having to go to a different place. It was only in transit that we realized that these people were actually Syrian refugees coming to the UK. They'd been on a long journey incredibly moving. Actually, we found it incredibly moving as, as the plane touched down at Gatwick Airport and we, and we looked and we could see them looking out the window. We could see the anticipation and, and actually there was a moment where I welcomed them to the UK. I was the UK ambassador welcoming them. I stood up as the plane was landing. It was just so welcoming. No idea what I was saying, but you are so welcome. Just a smile on my face. Come because look, they've been in transit They'd moved from a land that was very destructive. They'd gone from one place to another into Turkey, and then now finally they were landing into the UK. This is the land of promise. And wherever we think and whatever we think politically of that, here were people who were going, look, we've, this is the land that we've, we've been living in tents. But now we're coming home. Jacob was the keeper of the promises because he dwelt in the tent. It wasn't about domestic bliss. This was about someone who is living deliberately, intentionally, to say, Do you know, what? I'm living not for now, but I'm living with my eye to the future. That's, that's what matters. It's not the here and now, it's what is to come. I'm going to live now in such a way that reflects the future. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they live the same way. God's promises, it really matters. Keep looking to the future. However tough, however hard, however miserable, however painful, and some of us are having tough, hard, miserable, painful experiences in life, look, there's a better future to come. You're only dwelling in tents for now. But the day comes when the city's going to be opened. Like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, we need to do the same. We're in a transition. We're like refugees on our way to the promise. Don't settle. Don't settle here. Don't settle for compromise. Don't settle for anything less. Look for what is to come. So the Hebrew writer went on to say this. Each one of you, so each one of these people of faith died not yet, yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were intransients in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they were looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they would have gone back at any time they wanted. But they were after a far better country that was heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them. 
and the cities waiting for them. Jacob was the person who kept the promise, dwelt in the tents. It's good for us. In this world that we're living in right now, we're just passing through. We're just living in the tents. But the city's coming. So what do we learn from Jacob? Well, Esau lived in the day, Jacob lived in tomorrow. This imperfect, this corrupt, this manipulator who cheated his brother from the blessing and probably from the birthright as well, was regarded by the Genesis writer as being upright and righteous and by the Hebrew writer as being an example of a man to follow in his faith. And we look at it and we go, really? Jacob? What sort of example is this? Jacob didn't deserve any of these plaudits. He dressed up in the goat skin and pretended to be Esau and through deception received the blessing that he didn't deserve. He was, he was a fraud. And you're right, he was a fraud. And what's surprising, and this is the surprising kindness of God, Jacob didn't deserve any of it and yet he's credited with being a good bloke with the promises. Just like us. And this should be a huge comfort for us, especially if you are like me. Because at times I will feel like a fraud. And yet I've been credited as being all right with God. I don't pray enough. I'm not generous enough. I'm not kind enough. I often do unkind things. I lack faith. I lack integrity. At times I'm dishonest. At times I will manipulate the situations for my own advantage. So this story should be a huge comfort to someone like me, and if you're anything like me, then it should be a huge comfort to you as well. Because however fraudulent I feel, and some days I do, I can choose to live in the day and in the good <laughs> what was already being given to me by Jesus. I can choose to live there. I don't have to live where I am now. I can have my mind set on the things ahead of me. Ephesians chapter 1. Sorry, I didn't get the time to put this up onto the screen. If you've got a Bible, just look at it. And I'm coming into land here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's stop there. Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob. The father passed on the blessing. Our heavenly father has now passed on the blessing to us. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It's a remarkable verse. In the mother's womb, Jacob was chosen by God. Before you were born, you've been chosen to be what? Blameless and pure in his eyes. What's the description of Jacob? Man of integrity. He was a blameless man. And we go, no. And we say that of ourselves. No. Before the foundations of the world, we've been chosen to be blameless and holy. In love, he predestined us. For adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
The father loved the beloved. Isaac loved Esau. In order to get the approval of his father, Jacob had to clothe himself in the appearance of his brother. We are loved by the Father because we've now been clothed in Jesus. Not to earn the birthright and the blessing by deception, but by the grace of God. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our sins. The whole promises of God, the redemption plan, has now been given to us goes on to talk about how, and as a result of that, we have an inheritance and a future hope. However fraudulent I feel, let's live in the day of what God has already done. Like Jacob, I've been chosen by God before I was ever born, granted the rights to a future inheritance. And like Jacob, I have clothed myself in a brother, Jesus, and I've been approved by my heavenly Father which I now receive through grace, not deception. And like Jacob, my faith in God, believing in the promises of redemption, have secured me an eternal welcome home. I've been chosen by God. I've been clothed by God. I've been blessed by God. And one day I will be called home by God. And that's the promise. Esau swapped it out for soup. Let's live in the good of everything that we've already received. It's not look back, don't live for the day, but look to the future, and that's the promise. Let's live in everything that we've already received because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. We learn from people like Esau, Jacob. Thank you. The Esau story tells us to don't live in the day, but dwell in the rich heritage of what we've been given, and look not for today, but look for tomorrow. And then we look at Stories like of Jacob, who was a man who clearly got it wrong, made mistakes, bad error of judgment, sinned, and yet was still declared as right and holy, and was still elect, and was still chosen by you, and was still a recipient of the blessing, even if he deserved it or not. And Father, we stand before you as people who go, we thank you that we've been chosen and called by you. We thank you that we can know you as a heavenly Father. Thank you that we can have your blessing. Thank you that you've revealed salvation and redemption to us. Thank you, God, that this is now the promises and we're living in the good of it. I pray you help us not to be so shaped and so influenced by the world in which we're living in and the culture of the day and our circumstances, but that we'll be people who are living in tomorrow, that we're people who dwell in the tents, dwell in the promises of God, that this is safe, this is secure, this is the promise that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, that that is our eternal position and one day you will welcome us home. In Jesus' name, amen.